Welcome to Authority Issues, a podcast about leadership, management, and the continued realization that I have no idea what day it is. I'm Rachel Perkins, aka Pi or Pi Bob. I'm into words, operations, cheese and whiskey, and of course, leadership. And I'm Kendall Miller, high fructose corn syrup in the form of hard fruity candy, ginger in my tea, and a hot tub on my porch. Serenity now! Seems to be working. Uh, Today on the show, we're talking with Yazzie Smith, Director of IT Services at Vista Equity Partners. Thank you for being on the show, Yazzie. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I don't have a fancy... uh... A funny tagline. <laughs> <laughs> Just well, wait. So far, nobody there. has written one for for this to to join in, but maybe 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 soon somebody Shut will hear you, and then in the next time. Um, well, so go ahead and let's dive in, Yazi. Tell us about your path to leadership management, where you are today at Vista Equity. Okay, um, so I'll I'll try to be brief because first of all, I'm Don't old. Don't be brief. Back, back all the way up and talking slowly as possible. So, I mean, um, I'm, I'm, I'm old. This is Lord of the Rings. Like, I'm, I'm 40, and you don't want the full three books. Um, I, so I'm, I'm going to try to summarize. The, the first half of my life, like Lord of the Rings, uh, is I, I'll start with, you know, up to, up to the um, Bibble Baggins party and Frodo. That's a little bit of a, a lull. So my first half of my life was, was Bilbo's party, um, which means – for me, uh, I was raised in a traditional Chinese family. Um, you go through your checklist of Asian stereotypes. I've checked all the boxes, so I play the piano. <laughs> I play the piano. Um, my parents uh, believed in the concept of the Asian F, so an A minus was not okay. Um, you needed to get your A's and your A pluses. Um, my career choices were doctor, accountant or engineer, uh, some kind yes. of engineer was acceptable, as long as it was white collar. Um, so, you know, don't get your hands dirty. As long as you worked in an office, an engineering degree was acceptable. Um, so I was born in China, grew up in Fiji. I had a full ride scholarship to go to a New Zealand university. Wait, wait, wait. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. Okay, I'm already. You grew up in Fiji. So like, I, like I have a friend who grew up in Fiji. So like we're talking, you're wearing a wrap and you're going to school barefoot. Yes. And... Oh my gosh, I'm so jealous. This is amazing. Yeah, Kevin uh, would dress like that all the time if he could. If it was up to me, yeah. Well, why do I need to wrap anything? Um, so wait, how, how old were you when you left Fiji for, you You went all the way through high school in Fiji and then moved to New Zealand for college? Oh my That's gosh, you went to high school in Fiji. You are, I am so jealous. You have lived my best life. Keep going. Already, already we're excited. Okay. Already. <laughs> I, I actually do think it was a, a great experience growing up um, in a country like that and just moving over here and having that contrast of what it was like to be barefoot. Um, and, Did and you have go to like, an international school there? Uh, I went to a local school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man. I, I gotta. Well, after this, I'm gonna ask you if you know some of the same people because uh, we probably my do. Yeah, it's not a big <laughs> island. So that's, that's right? I, anyways, uh, okay. keep going. Kendall, stop. We I'm, said I'm we done. would interrupt you. Yeah. Okay. So New Zealand. No, this, this this is awesome. So yep, I got a full scholarship um, to go to New Zealand, and then you know, your your as far as like the Bilbo Baggins uh, party go, got a job, got married, had a kid before 25. That's wow. the first half. But wait, wait. <laughs> Did you learn the haka in New Zealand? Do they teach every college student this? 
No, they do not. I think if you played oh, okay. uh, a lot of sports, um, typically you would do a haka, but I didn't play team sports uh, in New Zealand. Okay. So I watched a lot of sports and I, you know, it, it's definitely a great, uh, a great tradition. And then was getting married super young, having a kid, uh, more influence of the typical Asian, like was mom like, you will give me grandchildren. And I look at it as painting, you know, painting by numbers, coloring within the lines. That would have been the first half um, of my life, uh, including all those things. Yep. Do this, do this, do this. And then is the next 20 years all rebellion? Sorry, continue. I'm very interested <laughs> in, in how you turn the page. We'll, we'll get there. Um, so as part of that, uh, you know, that first half of, uh, of my life, the, the, my um, college degree uh, was a Bachelor of Computer Science at the University um, of Auckland. Um, it was a very well-rounded uh, degree I took, I would say, as far as uh, experience and classes, um, very programming heavy, but also did a lot of back then what would be called business computing classes. So um, how to do presentations, how to put business cases together, um, talking, you know, going through networking, electronics, engineering, kind of the full, the full spectrum of um, computer science. Um, and so after I graduated, uh, I got my first job, also kind of boring, just a software developer job at a local um, New Zealand startup. Um, and uh, back then, and this was back in 2002, um, this company built uh, enterprise building platforms for utility and, and, and energy companies. All our customers were in the US, um, but it was a small New Zealand company. Um, it was actually a great experience for a first job. I think I feel very fortunate. Um, they were very uh, innovative. So back in 2002, uh, we were thinking about going agile. We had a UX person before UX was a thing in 2002. We called him a research and UI uh, uh, designer. Um, we, I was part of a team that was building APIs before that was a thing, moving mm. legacy 4GL and Perl code to Java. Um, we wow. built a a browser UI, which which started, I think, the whole idea of moving into SaaS um, before people started thinking about um, hosting applications on the cloud, even though we were working on your standard kind of large back office uh, servers and, and um, uh, just, you know, on-prem type uh, deployments. So mm. I spent my first six months and a year, uh, to a year of that role kind of just working on defects and being on call, being the, the new kid straight out of university. Um, I did all the work nobody wanted to do. Uh, <laughs> I put my hand up to try, hey, I would like to do something new. Um, we were moving things on to Java and I was actually the only person on the team other than a Java architect they hired later on that knew anything about Java. All the incumbents were all 4GL and Perl developers, but they were like, no, no, you stay in a corner um, and do your defects. Um, but, you know, what I did with that, I, you know, hunkered down. Um, I did really well with the defects to the point where there was also a project that nobody wanted to touch called the Error Logging APIs project. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I'm, I know where you're, yes, this is going to be, this is going to be good. <laughs> uh, all I did was go through all the code on all the modules from legacy to the new new versions of, of the systems and add error logs for debugging and auditing. Bless um, you. <laughs> wow. That that was amazing. Nobody wanted to touch it, but okay. I did it because I, I, you know, I said, I put my head down. I will, you know, um, prove myself. I did so well that they gave me an award. 
um, they sent me traveling around all the customer sites in uh, in North America. So I went to you know fancy places like Minneapolis. Uh, <laughs> And, and Denver, hey, uh, January. to all of our listeners in Minneapolis, I apologize for my immediate response of laughter. Um, but, uh, anyways, keep going. I mean, I mean it unironically because I I was from New Zealand, like that's like a really small place, and uh, you know, coming to all these American yeah. cities, my my first big girl business trip, um, that was uh, a, a huge experience. Um, and then I, you know, I, I was on site with uh, with partners like the big names like IBM. Um, it's I I. I did training for everyone, for customers, for for, uh, for vendors and partners. Um, I got to travel to work. When I got back, um, I got asked if I wanted to transition into uh, leadership, and they gave me like a team lead role, um, looking after a team that worked on defects and and the error logging API. But for me, um, that was you know uh, uh, my first kind of experience into hey, why don't you start leading a team? And and what to, it was really a success story for me. Like I, I felt like giving up so many times when I was there at two a.m. in the morning, the only person working on a defect because I was on call, uh, being U.S. time, you know something needed to happen. Um, but how it ended up and where that 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 uh, experience led me into being rewarded um, and, and getting into a leadership role was um, for me a, a success at the end of the day. And did you did you dive in and succeed at leading right out the gate, or did you run into all kinds of? Were you learning every lesson the hard way? Were they training you at all? What was what did that look like? So uh, that didn't come with people management responsibilities. It was mostly leading a, a project team, which was like I think one other person. Um, it, it was it was fine. I think I did fine, um, to be honest. Um, I did. It didn't. It wasn't a big deal to me to move yeah. into that role because I think leading for me was just part of what I do and just helping somebody along and having someone else with me along on the ride so it, it was unremarkable as far as like there wasn't a big moment where I'm like oh I am now a leader and I have to do xyz but then you missed the whole power trip which is like 60 percent of the fun <laughs> yeah no that 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 never happened oddly um, <laughs> dang it okay so uh, well then what happened from there um, so I transitioned out of Peace Software after a couple of years into a uh, a company that was, I think, would be a blip. Um, it's called Broadcast Map, a very very small startup. I only left Peace because uh, there was uh, the company was transitioning. There were some there were a couple of layoffs. Um, all all the people that I loved started leaving, and then from my perspective, that whole paint by numbers. Uh, you know, filling in within the lines. My parents were like, ah, you might want to go to someplace a little more secure. So I moved to a, a new job, a little bit of a pay bump into a company that was doing really exciting things. So there are things I learned there. Like I did my first experience with pair programming, having someone else sitting next to me, uh, worked on cshop.net, got, got to my first Microsoft conference, uh, my first conference ever, free food. That was, that was fun. <laughs> That's the thing, free food. That's these are things I remember, you know, at the end of the day. Um, but I, it wasn't a good fit for me as well at the end. So I left after a year, which is a which is a short stint. I think everyone should be allowed at least one of those <laughs> where mm -hmm. it, it's not working out. Uh, it wasn't what I thought it would be. Yeah. Um, and then I ended up at a company called IBM. Um, Never heard of is... it. <laughs> <laughs> um, that 
that was a, a it was a great experience. I was there probably a good four to five years, um, so a long stint for me. I joined IBM's um, consulting group, uh, which used to be Price Waterhouse uh, Cooper's Consulting mm-hmm. that uh, that got acquired by IBM. I had some amazing opportunities there and um, experienced a lot of growth. I worked on some very large systems projects, um, also in the billing space. Learned to work on C as a programmer. Um, I being a consultant, you kind of get move to projects and you do whatever get whatever the project requires. So um, I was a programmer. I was a data migration team lead. Um, IBM taught me a lot in, in that role to own my own personal development. Um, what, does that, uh, is, what does that look like? I mean, what kind of development does, does uh, IBM offer? So there's a whole framework and a whole like catalog of there's a hundred classes you can take. There's all these development programs you can do, but you own your development because it's up to you to ask and advocate and set out your path. So my people manager, um, they would invest in the classes and the training, but I had to learn to advocate for myself, put it on my development plan. Um, and uh, and that's how I kind of started making sure that I, I grew up my skill set. So I felt very comfortable as a project, uh, sorry, as a developer. I wanted to get into project management. Um, so I put my hand up and said, hey, I want to take some classes. IBM had a ton of those PM classes. Um, and they also put me on a project. So I started um, project managing an online order management system uh, for a for a telco company. So um, that was a that was a ton of fun. Did you manage folks at IBM as well, or was this more like indirect management, getting the client to come along with you on the path to success kind of thing? That would be the latter. So I did not have people management responsibilities uh, there, but I did uh, work with customers and also like our internal teams, um, and. So I've always viewed that leadership as value and skills anyone can bring to the to the table, kind mm-hmm. of separate from that formal authority, and that's always been a theme and part of what I do, regardless of what role I was playing. Well, yeah, yeah. So, so I, I want to continue the story linearly a little bit, but mm-hmm. at some points you did have people management responsibilities, and did those feel different? I mean, like, were you still leading the same way that the the philosophy that you're espousing about leadership? Did you carry that through when you actually had the power? I've got yes. The power. <laughs> okay. so, so I mean, we'll, so what did what did that look like? Or are you you're gonna get there? We'll we'll get there. It, it's kind of interesting. Um, at, so at the at towards the end of my IBM career, this is where the the colors started getting out of the boxes, and <laughs> I did not really want well. to paint by the numbers any anymore. <laughs> um, my personal life went through some great upheavals. Um, I, you know, a few things happened. I came to terms with an autism diagnosis for my, uh, my son. Um, there was divorce, there was, uh, estrangement from my family. And oh, I came no. to realize that, that it's like, when it rains, it pours, all these things happened. I don't want to paint my numbers and color within the lines anymore. Yeah, this like you know, I mean, you, you think about eat, pray, love. Somebody decided they would go off on a you know European trip. I decided I was going to move to America and uh, go consulting. No more, you know, none of these uh, uh, FTE jobs. I'm just going to go make a ton of money, go from move from place to place, um, and uh, do some fun projects, short term projects, six months to a year. And did that? Did you, is that what you did? 
that's what I did. Um, I, you know, I, I was also seeing somebody at the time who was American. So that was opportunistic. And he's like, Hey, let's, let's move to America. Let's start, let have, let's have a new start there. And, um, my then boyfriend, now husband, and I moved to the U S we established a, uh, uh, a company and our own operating entity, uh, worked a couple of contracts across, you know, companies like Intuit, Oracle, Shaw, Shaw telecommunications up in Canada. So, so wait, you, it. You and your husband are partners in your business as well at this point. You work together. Yes, yes. Wow. We, we met working at IBM. Uh-huh. Um, we we okay. met on the job, and uh, it's <laughs> and we just we just ended up working together, and we had a good system of compartmentalizing. Hey, I'm oh, gonna have good. a good now. <laughs> and we're going to talk about something else. What's interesting to me about this is um I feel like so I I mean I grew up in a relatively conservative home. I made all the good decisions to pursue the things that were the right things, that were the good ideas, that were, you know, I was wound so tight till I was 30 that in my 30s, you know, it was like, hey, you know what? I I I made a conscious decision when I was 30 years old to start cursing more and drinking more. And I, and I succeeded at both a little bit more wildly than I would have liked. Um, but, uh, yeah. uh, but, but like, what's funny to me about that is, and, and, and I'm hearing some of that in your story, which is interesting, yes. but I feel like the norm is people are wound tight when they're stuck at home and they rebel when they're, I don't know, 16 or 18 and they rebel all the way through their twenties. And then when they're 30, they're like, you know what, maybe I should probably get my shit together and start like settling down a little bit. And so I'm, I'm highly amused to hear because I, I, I feel that reflected in my story a little bit of like, you know what, I know I, I need to learn how to let my guard down and yeah, like do some shit that's wrong. Like I, my, my wife mocks me to this day for how much am I, I'm a rule follower. And like, I try not to, I'm like, I'm like, ha, I will cross this line to go around this biker and uh, look at me, I'm a rebel. And <laughs> So this is like when my husband runs in the museum in Animal Crossing because that's naughty. <laughs> Kendall, your your wife needs to talk to my husband because I'm sure they'll have a few stories like that. I'm like, it says 7 a.m., 7 p.m. appointment. We have to get there at 7. Oh, <laughs> oh I am never late. Never. That's, that's, actually, that's actually a leftover. My parents were late to everything, and I was in kindergarten, and I made a conscious decision when I'm in charge of getting somewhere myself, I will never be late. Uh, but, uh, anyways, but anyway, um, so. yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I mean, I find that really interesting and in the, the rebellion around that. And then, I mean, did you get what you wanted out of going, like leaving IBM, which is yep. literally blue chip, right? Like, I mean, even the stock is supposed to be reliable and and then you go do independent consulting for yourself for six months like did you get what you wanted was it fun and you you got to touch lots of different things and see lots of new things and kind of figure out what you wanted yes it was it was that and more um you know there were things i didn't expect like oh starbucks drive through a two dollar hot dogs at ikea there were all these amazing things um i <laughs> i kind of took my moving to america experience like i i i i I think I went into it with gusto and a lot of positivity. Everything was amusing. There were things my husband would scratch his head and go, this is just really normal. Um, Denny's, I thought Denny's was great because we had Denny's in in New Zealand and it was a a fancy uh, restaurant that was modeled like a diner. And here it was just everywhere. It's embarrassing. There's a lot of things that are very normal for Americans that I was very, very excited about. Sure. I wasn't I was an embarrassment to go out with when we, we were walking around town. Put it that's that way. Not, 
Because you're sitting there looking at the menu going, I'm going to get two Cokes. I'm going to break the rules. Oh, no, that the whole Coke thing. We went to P.F. Chang's and um, soda refills is an American thing. Free refills. Yeah, yeah. So the guy would come by, waiter would be like, would you like another? I'm like, no, I don't want another one. I just wanted to pay for one. And my husband would be like, it's okay. It's free refills. And (laughs) I will not tell you how many refills I had in that one movie. <laughs> <Like, "Woo-hoo!" laughs> Keep better. it coming. That's awesome. So, so what did you do after six months of consulting? Was it only six months and then you went right uh, back into blue chip or what'd you do? Uh, so I, I meant six months to one year stint. So we, I did that for a few years, actually. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so we, you I know, we, we contracted a, a number of places for a number of years, um, in Canada was the last kind of contract. Uh, uh, we got married, and I worked up till the last day when I had uh, my second my second child, um, and then we moved to uh, to San Antonio, Texas, where um, Michael, my husband, was still working at a company called Rackspace, so he was contracting there, um, and I decided let me just stay home a bit and see how things go. Like I, I never got a chance to spend too much time with my first child when I um, had my first baby. Like I was, I was home for four weeks and I'm like, I got to get th- get back into it. Um, I thought I might give the stay at home gig a little bit of a try and see how I went. Uh, see if I would enjoy being a kept woman. Um, <laughs> Is that okay to say that? Absolutely. Uh, Well, I I mean, did you enjoy it? I think that we're going to judge you when we find out the answer to that. Uh, (laughs) Is this is this the lull in between? (laughs) This is my answer. It was not a good fit. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, you seem like you could not sit still very long. (laughs) Uh, That's exactly what happened. So it lasted maybe a good six months, and then I started two nonprofit chapters, like two things I was going to do while I had my baby. I would, um, I started, but I started up a chapter of a baby wearing, uh, uh, resource, uh, nonprofit that helped parents learn how to use baby carriers. There's a whole subculture with natural parenting around baby carriers. I started a, a real diaper association chapter in San Antonio, teaching people how to use cloth diapers for, you know, re- reusability and all that stuff with um, saving the environment and, and landfill. So I did that for a bit. I also started my own business selling natural, natural baby products. So um, incorporated my own business, built an end-to-end online store. So, you know, using those engineering um, uh, brain cells that had been gone, you know, gone dormant for like a year. Uh, wrote, still, you just can't. It's still there. <laughs> you just bring it back up. Um, yeah, built an end-to-end system uh, and hired my first employee. Uh, that you know that that went okay too. I think again there was no big bang about hey now I'm responsible for somebody's career. It was it it was just na- it just felt natural for me. And, it, and you know talking about the career, talking about pay, talking about people management, um, it was just something I did as part of running my business. So sorry, there was no huge you know, moment and transition for me, for me personally, it was just a, a very natural, how do I look after people as part of looking after work, um, a piece of code or, or a service or a business I'm trying to, I'm trying to do. And so you didn't feel like you needed to study or read any books or, or take any classes on this. I mean, you, you had one employee at the time. Oh, I did read a book. Like, uh, was it, so what is it? Did you move my cheese or who moved my cheese? Mm -hmm. There was, there was that that covered some of the the basics, but mostly yeah, yeah. I feel like I I modeled um, a lot of what I observed from leaders that I mm-hmm. um, 
um, that I admire, that I looked up to across my career. Oh, can you talk a little bit about those, about, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, about the, the leaders that you thought were worth emulating? What were you looking to emulate? Um, I think a lot was, uh, there were a lot, there were quite a few people. There wasn't a single person. But when I think back to the what I remember most about the leaders that, that left an impression for me, on me, were the leaders that actually saw who I was. Um, saw value in me as a person and actually wanted to listen. So, you know, business business is one thing. Your priorities are always going to be about um, delivering business results, whatever it is, whether you're building code, you're providing a service, or even if you're in a nonprofit and you've got a mission statement and, a, and goals for what you're trying to achieve. At the end of the day, though, it's, it's remembering that you're working with people. Um, so the leaders that I... Um, remember the most were the ones that saw me as a person, saw me as a whole person. Not Exactly. Not just a resource. I wasn't just a number on a, a name and a number on a project plan and an Excel workbook. I was actually a person and they valued me and they heard me. So overall, those were some of the things that I was that I um, I remembered and I tried to bring to the table when it was my turn to lead and had teams that I was responsible for. And so, so talk a little bit about what that was like, because at Rackspace, you were a director of program management and then PMO. What was PMO also program management or was that something else? What, what did that role look like? Uh, it was mostly program management. Um, so I joined, uh, the, I joined Rackspace when um, an opportunity just basically fell, fell in my lap. My husband was already working there and there was a consultant role actually open um, to, to run a, a project that was very much similar to my previous projects at IBM and independent um, contracts, just running a big business uh, system transformation uh, program. So I got, I joined there um, and uh, then after I was there for maybe like about six months, that turned into a, an offer for a director of program management role. And that was actually just to build a team to do what, what I did. Um, Rackspace was very large um, and, and still very much like a startup in terms of culture and, and processes. There wasn't a strong project management discipline there. There were project management groups, like little PM, PMO groups, um, and they were really looking for someone to come in and bring a lot of the experience that I had um, at companies like IBM, as well as kind of knowing what works once you've been working as an independent consultant, where there may not be all these rules, but yet you kind of had to build them as you go. Um, so I process. Exactly. Um, so that's, um, that's how I got started um, at, 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 at uh, Rackspace. Okay. Wow. Uh, and that transitioned from um, just leading, you know, a, a program management team focused in the IT area um, into a corporate PMO role, um, and so that extends discipline to the whole uh, to the whole company. Um, consolidated other PMOs, um, so you know we we built a, a whole team of uh, of everybody who were who were in different disciplines, and then we covered both technical projects um, as well as large business uh, business transformation projects for the. Did for the you company. encounter any resistance from folks who? Are like no this is the way i've always done it and and if you did how did that go <laughs> always in every job um but at, pick um, that's why i asked <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think resistance is 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 very normal, um, and it's a skill that I think a lot of project managers, uh, good project managers, would have picked up along the way. Is understanding that, for me, is really really understanding that resistance isn't in in of itself a, 
a thing that it, that's just there. There's always something underneath it. So when someone's resisting, um, there's there's a reason why they are. And I also like to believe, and this might be naive, that every that there are people. Every, everyone wants to do the right thing, um, and they may feel it's the right thing, and it's, it's something important to them. So it's really important to listen. Um, so when we did come with resistance on, hey, whether this you know, uh, this PM's always been doing things a certain way. And now I'm telling them, you got to use this tool because we're standing up a, a PMO and here's a new tool you have to use. Um, it's really about having that conversation with them, understanding what it, what it is, what their fears are, what their hesitation is, and then making sure that they feel heard um, and making sure that, you know, you take their feedback and find some way to incorporate it. Being humble about it, right? Like you, we, I want to do something a certain way, but be open and think about if somebody has resistance, they may have a different point of view. And yeah. we should always be open to, um, to to listening and understanding it and that considering totally wraps it. wraps back around to, this, to, the, to the tenet that you picked up from, you know, your earlier days at IBM and the, the leadership that you valued is someone coming to you and listening to your concerns and then folding them in as feedback. Exactly. Cool. When, when you're traveling, well, traveling around, when you're doing all these shorter term consulting projects, right? Like you've worked, you've worked in a lot of different contexts. You've worked in different cultures. You've worked, you know, all these different big companies, small companies. Now you're at private equity. Um, What are the things that you picked up along? Like, are there things that stand out that you picked up along the way, whether it's a big org or a small org X or Y helps you succeed? Or did you, did, was it a lot more of conclusions along like, oh, at a huge company, you need to do this. And at a smaller company, you don't have to, or like, you know, what are the kind of, are there overarching lessons that stand out? Quite a few, but probably one of the big ones, especially when you think about um, some, like my experience shifting in different size companies and different cultures and different industries. In what I do in my profession in IT, I'm not launching rockets into space. I'm not curing cancer. Um, most of the biggest problems that we have aren't going to be technology related. Like when you really think about it, right? If you have a really hard problem to solve, whether it's a defect or an algorithm you have to write, those are usually solvable. The biggest challenges for me, no matter which type of organization I've been in, which country, has always been people related and really understanding how you connect with people. A lot of the conflicts um, that I've seen that have become barriers to projects being late, things not you know going the way, going smoothly has always come down. If you do a root cause analysis, if anyone's a Lean Six Sigma geek out there, it's gonna come down to a breakdown in communication because someone was expecting something and um, they didn't communicate it or somebody didn't hear a communication a certain way. I truly believe a lot of that comes down to how we connect with people is, is all the, the root of all the big problems. So, well, okay. So I think, Rachel, you can probably join me with a very easy conclusion from this. People are the problem. People um, are the problem. So, so, well, so, so what are the tactics that you've learned? I mean, yeah, people are the, people are, people are the problem because we're the weakest link everywhere. All the technology makes sense. The computer does exactly what the, <laughs> fuck we wanted what to, you do. Tell to do uh, yeah and uh people not so much so like like i mean what what tactics have you learned that actually help you do this then at scale i mean is it build personal relationships with them so you you know like are, are, are there shortcuts somewhere to the communication to your success in this uh, i think there's there's a lot um that you could do but i um 
you know, one of the big things when moving into a new company, and it's it's part of my experience uh, moving into uh, a different industry now uh, at Vista. Like I've always worked in tech. This is the first uh, job I've had, which is in a, a different industry in financial um, services. Um, so it's a uh, culture change is a, a big item for me. And the way I deal with it um, from a strategy perspective is really understanding that there are formal structures and they, there's formal authority, there's processes, there's policy. But a lot of what I wish somebody told me when I was 20 was there is also a lot of um, informal and unwritten structures and relationships and policies. And that becomes more and more, I think, a theme for leadership when you keep going up the chain, have more responsibility, and the stakes are higher, those things become more important. Where it may not be written down, process, you know, there might be a process, you go fill out a form to get something done. However, if you think about the uh, the unwritten rule behind it, know who's actually making the decision at the end of the day and know what drives them. If you want something to move faster, go talk to that person, make a case, and you might see your request bumped up on top. Do you think that's good or is it just a, the fact of life kind of thing? I think it's ethically neutral, right? Whether <laughs> I like it or not, like it is what it is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's, that, that actually is the thing for me, understanding that um, a bit of those, that power and influence, the power structure, um, it's always been painted, at least in, to me, in, in stories and in culture that power is scary or it's, you know, it's, it's evil or it's intoxicating, but I've, I've come in my old age at 40 to realize oh, that. Gosh, lady, I'm going to be 51 <laughs> next week. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll stop saying that then. Um, <laughs> power is ethically neutral. All power is to me when I, when I analyze it in, uh, that way is power is just the, you know, the ability to get things done and get things moving and you can use power for good. You can use power for evil. We see that in news and in politics every day. It's really just a tool for us to get what we need. Well, so what was interesting to me is going into this, when, when I asked that question, like, what's your strategy for this? If, if people are the problem, I, I half expected you to say, just be prepared for disappointment, right? Um, and and that's that's a little bit where you went, like not 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 quite, but uh, you know a little bit of like there's there's good and there's bad, and and it is ethically neutral that you have to every system exists to be worked. Uh, and I mean, I feel like that was a profound lesson that I learned in college was like, oh, this is just a massive system that can be worked and and there's abuse and there's use and there's everything in between, you know, and uh, context. It, it, yeah, context there's, is useful. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's interesting. And I, I think you're right. Like the, I've seen engineers who work at this, you know, the organization I'm at now or have in the past or previous organizations who are like, no, but it says the rules are this, or this is what we're doing. Why aren't we doing that? And it's like, look, you can spend your whole life being mad that the words don't match the actions, uh, or you can recognize that the words don't match the actions and like deal with the reality. And, uh, 
it is interesting that I feel like there is a large percentage of people who just can't get over that. Oh, but it's that's super not, frustrating. You know, yeah. I have a, yeah. like a, an overdeveloped sense of justice. I, I think I've mentioned that before. And of course I'm really angry right now all the time. Uh, but that kind of thing bugs me and I need to work through it to get something done sometimes to, to go ahead and, and deal with that person who needs their ego massaged before you're going to get what you need to get your job done or whatever. But yeah, yeah. Uh, I was just yeah. curious to to hear, like, is that a thing that you appreciate about power roles or it's just, that's just how it is. It's, it's just how it is. We have, you know, I, I, I have just uh, accepted it um, and found a way to make it work and know that, you know, for me, um, I find ways to make it work for good. Mm-hmm. So, so then talk about your relationship with authority. We, we ask everyone this, but how do you feel about having authority over others? And how do you feel when others have authority over you? I mean, like these are things I talk to my shrink about because um, I, you know, hearing my story, I've I was raised in a traditional family, so I was taught and and conditioned from a young age to respect authority. These are your lines, color with the lines. We go by these numbers. Um, I was raised to just revere it, put it on a pedestal, and I've kind of through my experiences learned that it's it's authority for me, formal authority is a form of power. And again, I log- I apply logic to that and just conclude then that it's just a way to get things done. So right now, um, my relationship with authority is it's a tool. So are you going to raise your kid the same way and uh, <laughs> request that they get a job in engineering, medicine, Coloring or... Coloring uh, everywhere. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, so like the reason I asked this, they, they, so I lived in China a long time. I've mentioned this to you, like, yep. Yazzie. And, and I talked to a lot of my friends who were like, well, now I have to get this job and I have to pay my parents back and I have to buy an apartment and I have to get married mm-hmm. and I have to get a car. And, and I'm like... Why? And they're like, so I can have a kid. And I'm like, well, what are you going to do then? Well, I'm going to tell the kid to have do this. And I'm going to tell the kid to do that. And I'm going to tell you, and I'm just like, but you don't do it. All of this. Why, why are you perpetuating you this system? any of that. And, yeah. Well, and half the time my friends would stop and go, huh, never thought about that before. And then immediately, not sure I want to think about that. Let's move on. Right. And, and yeah, it, it can be just so ingrained. That's, you know, um, yes. Do you feel so the answer that you're having moved out of that? Oh, sorry. Uh, um, I, so to answer Kendall's question, I will not be doing that to my kids. I will not be giving them a menu of like, these are the three careers you can choose. Um, I would like to, you know, apply some of those leadership principles about seeing them as, as whole persons, um, even when they're young and understanding that while they're um think their skills like reg, uh, regulating their emotions, communicating, and their thought process might not be fully baked. They are still full human beings with the, with thoughts that we should be listening to. But there there is a middle ground where, yes, you can do anything you want when you grow up. Little Johnny football player Miller, yep. little Deborah Dr. Miller. Uh, you know, like there's, you can just name them what you expect them to be and then be like, yeah, no pressure. You do whatever the hell you want. Uh, why, why aren't your kids just, you know, milling grain at this point? That's not that's what right. That's a good point. <laughs> I mean, I, I think having, having a child with, with uh, autism also um, gives me a, another perspective on that. Like I, 
when I had Isaac, my my firstborn, I did have project. I did project all these dreams on him. I'm like, he's gonna do this. He's gonna be, you know, he might be a computer engineer. He might be an astronaut or you know whatever. All the all these great things. Prime Minister of New Zealand. And then seeing, you know, he he's high functioning, but he he does have a lot of challenges. Like he barely speaks, and he's he's 15 now. We when we talk, it's usually like, I want these five things for Christmas. And goodbye. <laughs> which is which is great because he you know he didn't even say that, but. He his communication is, is different and his path is going to be different. And until yeah. we have a world that, that creates more opportunities for people with differing abilities, um, I know that the best I can hope for for him and uh, is that he's going to be happy. Um, he's going to, he's going to find something to do with his life that, that is fulfilling and engages him. And then I ask myself, why not the same expectations for my other neurotypical kids? Yeah. yeah or for yeah. yourself. I mean, honestly, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounds like you did have that realization. I, I have, I, I am entitled to be happy. I'm entitled to lead my life in a way that makes me happy. Yeah. yeah. Give you give your kids a coloring book and say, you know, color wherever you want, and there's not even any lines in it. You can just color. It's just a blank page. Uh, Whatever makes you happy. There, I like except if it's a school assignment. Except if it's a school assignment. <laughs> Then you got to do it the way they want, whether it's stupid or not. Whether it's stupid or not, you got to make the system work for you. Okay, so. Well, I um, I gather that your hobbies are probably not coloring, but um, <laughs> given the uh, the uh, the analogy you've been making, but what what are your hobbies outside of work? What do oh, you- we need another hour for that. Um, so <laughs> awesome. I don't sleep much. Um, I uh, I doom scroll the internet a lot. So mm. Twitter and Reddit. Right now, especially, I have a herd of goats. I've got, uh, yep, what? I've got a herd of goats? Nigerian dwarf goats. Um, I've got two dogs. I've got a, I've got two and a half cats. There's an outdoor cat that I uh, tamed, um, and uh, an African leopard tortoise. So I've got a lot of animals to look after, wow. along with. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, let me let me make sure I heard that right. An African leopard tortoise, not an African mm-hmm. leopard. And a tortoise, a tortoise. but African a leopard, leopard. That's the type of leopard is modifying tortoise. There is Correct. not a wild cat the, outside. The that's shells, the gotcha. shells have, have they look like leopard prints. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And why do you have a, a, a herd of goats? Um. So <laughs> I mean, funny story. Yay. <laughs> because they make they make her happy. Well, yeah. they make me happy. Like, I'd like to know but, how particularly they make you happy. <laughs> so. My husband, when we when we bought our first house, there was a big lawn, and he you know he got tired of mowing the lawn. He's like, I just wish we had some goats or something. And I'm like, I know somebody. So I had a friend who has a farm who sells baby goats, and I'm like, Oh, you said you want some goats. Let me buy some goats. Here's a here's a tip. Goats aren't great for lawn keeping. They're grazers, so they like to. They're not really grazers. They like to peck leaves and and all the things you don't want them to eat, like flowers and vegetables. Um, but they're not great. They won't eat the grass until that's the last thing on the planet. Mm, yeah, I feel deer are like that too, and we have a lot of those here where I live. They are more similar to deer than they are to um, to, to cows and the sheep. Cows. So my husband felt like it was a trick, but it's too late now. I have about sixteen of them, and you can't get rid of them because they're all named and they have you know That's they have collars. Do you do you milk them and drink goat milk, or do you just raise goats and let them walk around they're in the like yard? Goats. Yep. They, sometimes they come in. I've got a couple of them that, you know, have a, uh, they have a preference for Julio's uh, tortilla chips here in, in Texas. So a few of them are just. 
They're just characters. That's awesome. That is fantastic. Oh, wow. Well, so for time's sake, uh, we should probably wrap up here. Did you want to ask anything else, Rachel? Um, I wanted to know. So you you uh you are now in a in a in a directorship role. Um, do you think that uh, becoming a leader in that way has affected your personal life? And if so, is it positive, negative, both, neither? Um, one of the things is I don't compartmentalize my personal life with my professional life very much anymore because I felt like um, it was hard to show up differently. Um, mm. So for me, I've kind of it's it's the same me at work and and at home. Um, and I think it's made easier because at home, my spouse was someone that I worked with for right. a while. So you, know, you were, you were at home at work anyway, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel like a lot of the problems that I that I solve at work um, are similar problems at home when there's resistance from my kids about bedtime, um, there's conflicts about the right priorities for any home projects and things we have to do. Um, so I, I actually think that I've just learned to be, for me, leadership is just adding value and being who I am, um, both at work, at home, at school, yeah. in the BCA. Totally makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for having uh, the time to join us today. Super yeah, appreciate it. Being with us. If, if people want to hear more about you, Yazi. No, 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 uh, no Yazi on the internet. It's not. No you can find me on LinkedIn. Internet. Yazi's on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah. No Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, well, thanks so much for being here. Yeah.